0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church podcast. This is the Vision Sunday 2020 message by Pastor Sean Wood. Tonight I want to share my heart and I will do so from a couple of passages of scripture that I believe God has spoken to me from recently. Um, I remember when I was in Tasmania, I I come from a family of fly fishermen and my stepfather and his family are enormously arrogant people, but... I remember one particular fishing trip um, where we went into the back of some very tough lakes to fish, and I can remember that on the way up there, I called into a fishing shop, and a guy said, hey, take a handful of these flies, no one's ever used them before, Um, see how you go. I said, okay. The flies were called a shaving brush. Anyway, we get up to the lake, and my stepfather and my step-uncle, who have fished these lakes predominantly for many, many years, um, and done quite well. Uh, couldn't catch a fish all weekend. And uh, I remember the first night I got there, I said, you've got to try these new flies. And these guys are like, no, 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 no. And they're trying all the conventional methods. I slaughtered them that weekend. And in the end, they were yelling at me for the flies. And I say that to say the definition of insanity, particularly when you're in Tasmania, is repeating the same process and expecting a different result. I think, and I strongly believe, that the message I believe from God's heart for us, but also the church globally, is there is something new. It's time for something new. And I want to share what I believe that looks like for us. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow me. Two passages. First one's Acts chapter 3. I remember listening to a message that actually wasn't related to what I want to share, but I remember stumbling upon this verse and. I was meditating on it and praying about it, and I really felt the Lord speaking to me and asking me a question. But let me read you the passage first. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. The brothers going to church on a daily basis. There was a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Okay, treasurers are like, wipe that bit out. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I can remember meditating on this, and I felt God asking me, Sean, what is it that you have? And what is it that we as a church have? We've got a brother here, a lame brother, that's being carried to the gate every day. Every day he's carried home in exactly the same condition as he arrived. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. The sad truth is that many people are at the doors of churches. Many people are in the seats of churches and are suffering incompleteness and unwholeness. And we think the answer is, let's institute another program. We think the answer is, let's just institute another ministry. Let's raise funds. That wasn't the answer they had in the first century. And it's time, I believe, for things to change in the church. It's time for us to say, silver and gold, have I none, but what I have, I give you. And the question I want to ask everybody is, what is it that we have? What is it that we have to offer? Because if all we have is another program, if all we have is flashy buildings, praise God for our building, but if all we have is smoke machines and lights and if all we're trying to do is build a corporation, then people are going to turn up here lame every week and they're going to go home lame every week. I believe it is time. It is time for the church As a whole, but I I don't want to speak about other churches. I, I believe it's time for this church to step into the supernatural. I believe it is time for us to live lives in the supernatural. I believe God is waiting for us. And I believe there needs to be a shift, not necessarily in what we do. I believe there needs to be a shift in why we do stuff and how we do it. There needs to be a shift in our thinking. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, I was wrestling with, uh, personally, I was wrestling with, after everything that's going on with COVID, one thing I've known, nothing's by accident, by the way. Uh, I've I've learned that on a global or an individual basis, nothing happens in your life by accident. COVID didn't happen by accident. God hasn't stepped off the throne. God isn't losing a battle here. COVID, God didn't wake up one morning and go, surprise, here's COVID. God knows exactly what's going on. So, okay, God, if you know exactly what's going on, what is going on and what do we need to listen for? You see, sometimes we need a little bit of distress. We're going to get to that word in a moment. Sometimes we need a little bit of uncomfort because it kind of asks us to lean into God. That's what it requires of us when we get a little bit uncomfortable. And I can remember... Really feeling the, I've always prayed for revival. Uh, I've always prayed for revival. And we always, you know, you get in pastoral circles. Every pastor's on the brink of revival, by the way. Uh, It's just something I've learned. Every pastor in every church, we're just about on revival. Okay, all right. Uh, But but looking at revival, there was revivals in the Bible, by the way. But looking at revivals, revivals are reviving us back to where we were. And I got to the point where I said, God, you know what? After COVID and everything, I don't want to be back where we were. I don't want to do things the way we used to do them all the time because the definition of insanity is turning up here every Sunday until we're old and grey and nothing changes. Praying for revival for 80 years. Okay, all right. That's fine. But I began to feel personally and God was saying it's not time for revival, it's time for reform. That's happened once before. It's happened in the Bible once before. Of course, it's happened in church history, of Martin Luther, but it happened in the Bible. And I believe that this is God's way of speaking to us. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to 2 Chronicles, chapter 15, I'll give you a little background while you're getting there. King Asa is a kind of an up and down kind of king, but one thing we find in the history of Israel to be true is this, that... Uh, this This is a direct message to leadership in this church right now. If you're in leadership, please tune in for a moment. But what I have found, scripturally speaking, the history of Israel teaches us one thing, that the people never rise above the leadership. And what we find was that, here's a really common way of looking at it, when there was an evil king or there was evil, sinful leadership, that's what the people did. But when there was righteous leadership, Josiah, Hezekiah, and Asa, there was a righteous Israel. Under Josiah, there was what I would call a revival. There was uh, They're they, uh, they actually refurbishing the temple, and they stumble across the Bible, the, the Torah, and they begin to read it out aloud, and all of a sudden, everybody's back to... But Asa was a little bit different, you see... Things at this point in time, by the time we get to 2 Chronicles 15, everything's going really well for Israel. uh, uh, They're enormously, uh, they've conquered and they've fended off their enemies, they've pillaged, they've, they've, they've built up a little bit of wealth and everything's pretty comfortable for them. They're experiencing a little bit of peace until we get to chapter 15. And these are the records of Asa's religious reforms. Verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and all Benjamin. This is is not just to the king. This is a word to all of Israel. He begins and he says, The Lord is with you while you are with him. And sometimes we forget that. The Lord is with you while you are with him. And the next part is enormously important. This is a biblical principle that flows right through the Old Testament and right through the New Testament. It is, if you seek him, he will be found by you. I want everybody in this room tonight to grab hold of these words. If you will seek God, he will be found by you. Seeking God means the dropping of every other pursuit and longing after him. I have a confession to make. When I began to pray about seeking God, I began to realize I wasn't seeking God like I should. I began to realize that there's just as much complacency inside of me. I began to realize that perhaps... I, myself, and us as a church have kind of got a little bit off skew. I'll talk more about that in a moment. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 3, for a long time or for a long season, depending on the translation, for a long time or a long season, Israel was without the true God. Interesting point here. Whenever the Bible talks about other gods, whenever it talks about idols, whenever it talks about Asherah and all those, Dagon and all those other gods, it always uses a small g. But in this verse, for a long time Israel was without the true God, capital G. That shocked me. Because... I began to ask questions like, how is it possible to not have the true God? Uh, Remember Jesus and the woman at the well? Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were not the Jews. The Samaritans held to the first five books of the Bible. Jesus says to the woman at the well, he says, you worship what you don't know. They're worshiping God. They're doing it their own way, but they don't have the complete revelation of God. And he says, you worship what you don't know. And in Exodus 32, that the Israelites make an enormously large mistake. What happens is Moses goes up in the mountain. He's gone for a long time, 40 days, 40 nights. Is this guy coming back? We don't know. They turn to Aaron and they say, make us a god. And he makes a calf. And that's not the worst thing. The worst thing was, when they danced and worshipped the image, they proclaimed it to be the Lord, Yahweh. And what they had done is take the most magnificent, glorious, awesome God of all creation, and they have thought, you know what, we can put him down here in an image that we can control, in an image that we can kind of fashion for ourselves. Because we want a God that we can control and a God that we can manage. We can't control God. We can't manage God. Have a listen to the condition of Israel. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, word of God, and without the law. But when in their distress, I haven't been a pastor for very long, but I've known one thing to be Absolutely true. Nobody's ever walked into my office and said, I'm enjoying an enormous amount of prosperity right now and I'm closer to God than I've ever been. Nobody's ever said that. I I just haven't heard anybody say it. I've had a lot of people come into my office and go, you know what, it feels like all hell's broken loose, but man, I've never known God to be any closer than he is right now. Sometimes God rocks the boat. Sometimes God unsettles things. In case you're wondering, we'll keep reading to find out. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. He was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them. That's an inconvenient truth. Al Gore... You did not have the inconvenient truth. That's the inconvenient truth, is that God troubled them with every sort of distress, but you take courage, is the message to the people. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. What is the response? We begin to see the response, and I believe we begin to see the response that is necessary for us. If we are honest and if we have a look around the globe right now, I would say that God has allowed, I wouldn't say God has instigated COVID, but God has certainly allowed it. And what is going on across the globe right now has unsettled a lot of people. I'm having different conversations with people, people inside of church, yes, but people outside, I'm having different conversations with people now because all of, all of the kind of facade and the masks are dropped now. People have genuine concerns what people held dear, what people placed their faith in, what people put their trust in, has now been removed and people realise, you know what, we built our house on sand. As soon as Asa heard these words, didn't hold a prayer meeting, didn't grab the elders, didn't have a vision Sunday. But as soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. We're going to have to take courage. For what I'm about to announce, it's going to take courage for us as a church. Don't worry. Don't be scared. It's nothing. I haven't got a storage of arms here. We're not going to storm Parliament House or anything. So calm down. I haven't built, I haven't built any bunkers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Not yet. We're waiting for the doses to break around. He took courage and he put away. This is really important part. This is what reform looks like. Reform looks like what Asa does here. He took courage and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country. And here's the second one. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. That word repair there is a direct reference to refurbish something that has deteriorated due to neglect. So here's what Asa does. Asa hears the word of God. God sends a whole amount of distress upon the people of God. Asa hears the word of God and immediately he institutes reforms. And those reforms look like we're going to put away all the detestable idols and we're going to start worshipping God like we should have been from the first place. Like we've neglected for many years. We've neglected this altar. We've set up our own altars. We've got our own idols. And so now we're going to put all those things away that have taken away our attention and distracted us and we're going to start worshipping God like we should have been in the first place. Don't be too scared. It's all right. Everyone's looking at me going, what's this guy going to announce next? It's okay. Don't don't panic yet. Why do you think I do Vision Sundays right before I go on holidays? (laughs) Pastor Liz at the Rock. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule in the house of the Lord, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. Oh what does that mean for us? I believe we're in a season where I, don't, I can't speak for other churches, but I will tonight speak for the Rock Christian Church. I, I don't know what's going on in other churches. I want everybody to be encouraged. The pastors that I meet, the churches that I interact with, God has been enormously gracious to his whole body. Uh, Jesus is not on the back foot. God is not clambering and trying to catch up. Everything's okay, but I believe God has a message for his church. I believe God is asking us, to put away some of the ways that we used to do things and step into what it is that God has for us. And I believe it's an exciting season. I believe for us as a church, in many ways, our faith needs to find some feet. So I haven't got any slides either, but I have some good news. If you would like more detail, if you'd like to hear these things again, I will put it up on YouTube because I've decided that... I will. Everybody's made an enormous mistake tonight, by the way. Yeah, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Everybody, I now know you can turn up Sunday night, <laughs> right? Okay, so, we should see the... I'm, I'm kidding. I really am kidding. All right. Uh I want to go through what this means for us as a church. It's nothing scary. And then I want to explain to you what our commitment to you as a church is and what I believe the vision for everything that we do in the church moving forward will be. Every operation we have, every program will be centred around one thing and it's, and it's nothing scary. All right. First thing that I need to touch on. Uh, tonight is not a discussion about COVID-19. Tonight is not a discussion about whether Bill Gates is the next antichrist or any of those things. Okay. But I do need to let you know that where we're going to stand as a church moving forward. The reality is that, here's some realities. The reality is that the media has blown up COVID-19. There's a lot of fear in the media that actually isn't true. Is coronavirus real? Yes. Has it got anything to do with 5G? Don't reckon. Did Bill, is Bill Gates trying to take over the world? Uh, I don't reckon. Okay, but here's what I do know. Uh, I do know that coronavirus threatens people in this room that I love very dearly. And while I can put measures in place that will protect you and I have a medical reason to protect you, I will do that. Because we have seen that if it gets hold of vulnerable people, it can really be a devastating thing. We, we know that, we've seen that. However, the real statistics on COVID-19 would probably tell most people, if we looked at them, we are not in a pandemic. I know people like to disagree with me about that, but the figures and the statistics don't back up the fact that we're in a pandemic. You have to have a death rate of 1% to 3%, and globally, we don't have that. Does that mean we don't have reason for concern. No, we should be concerned. We should be wise. Our aim is not to fight the government. We want to cooperate. Uh, The Bible says that we should submit to the authorities because they're put in place by God. Yes, but there are lines that we will not cross. We're nowhere near those lines here in Australia. Yes, I will keep my eye on things like vaccines and all those sorts of things that are coming out that people have legitimate concerns about. We will look at those things. We will look at them through the scope of the Bible and all those sorts of things, yes. If the government, and we are miles away from this here, if the government crosses the line and steps into the church arena for political reasons and restrictions are not medically based, they are politically based, that's, that's something that we would certainly have a voice about. There's no reason for concern when we're not there. We have, um, I would like to encourage everybody, we have an enormous organisation in Australia that we should uh, be seeking and we will be as a church seeking to support more into the future. That is the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, Martin Isles is doing an enormously great job in Australia right now. He is calling out, he's uh, very boldly called out the Chinese Communist Party when he's needed to. He has stepped in, they are in the space to step into the political arena this here is a pulpit. It's, it's not a place where we engage in political agendas. There's a place where we do that. But this is not the place. There are men that are gifted in that area. Martin Isles and the Australian Christian Lobby are those people. And you can get all the information. You can look them up on Google and YouTube. Um, weekly, Martin Isles does a series on the truth of it. And I would encourage everybody to get hold of that series Uh, subscribe to that and listen to it because he is doing an amazing work across the geography of Australia. There was, I'll I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Just recently, there was a really concerning gender uh, identity conversion kind of bill that they have, they've snuck through in Canberra, but not without walking it backwards a little bit and it would never have been walked backwards if it wasn't for Martin Isles getting a petition and putting it before them. So thank God for the work that they did. Let me kind of break down what it meant um, on the scale. The bill would have sounded a little bit like this. If your five-year-old son said today that they were a girl and you didn't affirm that, you could be up for criminal prosecution. That's how absurd the bill was. It's been walked back enormously, but they they still slipped it through. So we have people in that space. Uh, Aside from that, I would like to, as a church, increase our apologetics, and that apologetics is simply giving a sustained, reasonable defence for the faith that we hold. And I think there are people outside these walls that are looking for answers, and we would also like to equip people inside these walls with those answers as to how do we have those conversations. I believe that we need to, as a church, and there's nothing scary here tonight, but I just need to kind of draw a line in the sand. Uh, I believe we need to have reform in three major areas. We need to have motivational reform. We need to have directional reform. And I would like to speak to leadership. I don't think we need enormous reform in our leadership, but I want to draw a line and reaffirm where we stand in regards to leadership. There are some things that we need to put away. And I want to make it clear to everybody in this room, I, want to, I, I, I simply want to be transparent in what our motivations and direction will be moving forward. <clears throat> we need to put away being motivated by filling seats on Sunday as our primary motivation. Rather, being motivated to, and fully moved to be able to move everybody closer to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit more about this in a moment, but what I mean by that is um, our aim, our prayer, our heart, everything we do in this building, everything that happens here during the week is not geared to doing whatever we have to do to get you here next Sunday. However, everything that happens here from our youth group to our food link to everything, and I'll explain this a little bit more, our heart is, if you come to the Rock for two weeks, and I've unpacked this with our lovely eldership, which most of them are here tonight, if you're here for two weeks, if you're here for two months, if you're here for two years or ten years, whenever it is that you leave or if you never leave, our prayer is that you will be closer to Jesus when you leave. I remember recently I watched a video from Ghana way back at the start of the Jeremiah series. That was way back when Noah just stepped off the ark. And I remember the video scanning the room, and I remember looking at half of the heads thinking, those guys aren't there anymore. I want to be real with you people tonight, and if you have a look around the room, it's not that they've died, by the way, this, this, is, not, <laughs> this is nothing morbid. People move on, you know? Crazy weird dudes that like fishing moved from Tasmania to Queensland. Reuben. (laughs) Okay? And look, we're mature enough to know that you guys may be here for a season. And whatever that season looks like, we just hope there's more fruit on your tree when you leave. And everything we do here is aimed at not filling seats, not building a crowd, not creating an organisation, but bringing everybody closer to Jesus. We need to put away being motivated to achieve according to our own strength or power. There needs to be a power shift in every one of our lives. We need to put away thinking that we can do things in our own strength. We need to put away all forms of ministry that is not saturated in prayer. A power shift looks like, Lord, I don't take a step unless I saturate it in prayer. We don't have board meetings without prayer. We don't have elders meetings without prayer. We don't have staff meetings without prayer. We don't start the kids ministry on Sundays until the leaders get together and hold hands and pray. I'm not saying that we don't do that now, but I'm saying we will most certainly be doing that into the future. That will be our heart and our aim is God. We want to shift the power and the reliance to you. We want to put away reliance in ourselves. Instead, saturating everything in prayer. We want to be motivated toward, we, we want to put away, uh, we, I don't actually think we operate in this space, but I want to be clear that we will not be. We will no longer, and we have no intention to be motivated towards event based or attractional church life. We don't exist to throw the next event, we're not trying to throw a party here. Uh, I have come to the conclusion personally there is nothing that I can do to make Jesus more attractional. I can't add anything to Jesus that will make him any more glorious or any more attractional. I now want to put all of that away. I never want to step into that space, but I want to step into the space where we just pull the curtain back and hopefully this is a place, I'll reveal more about this in a moment, this is a place where you will just see how glorious he is. Any of us, if we just saw another snippet of his glory tonight, it would transform our lives forever. I can't make him any more attractional. It doesn't matter how good the musicians we have, and we've got some fantastic ones. It doesn't matter how good the preacher is, and he's average, but he's getting better. It doesn't matter how good the kids' ministry is. There's no formulas here. The formula is, Holy Spirit, we need your power. When Jesus was talking to a man, he came up and said, I want to follow you, but first, I'm paraphrasing, this is a Sean Wood translation, but first let me go home and bury my father. Jesus said something very enormously profound in, in reply. He said, let the spiritually dead go and bury their own dead. Salvation is of the Lord. We will regenerate nobody. God uses us, yes, as avenues, Absolutely but it is by his power. We are Every time somebody is saved, it's the greatest miracle that happens because somebody who was dead becomes alive. Ravi Zacharias said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Some directional reforms. We need to put away in, engaging in church as a place we go to, an event or an experience. This is where it, sort of flows away from the leadership a little bit. Instead, my heart and my prayer is that we would become, instead we would engage in church as a loving community of disciples in loving relationships. My heart is that every one of us would embrace those two words right there. How did Jesus move people closer to himself as I asked that question? He loved them. He ate with them. Everybody was amazed that Jesus would go and eat with the tax collectors and the sinners. We need to put away viewing our mission as being inward ministry, but instead focused on reaching the lost. Church does not exist for us to come, get blessed, put a few goosebumps on Wiggle, shake and dance and back out the door. Back in next Sunday, top up the tank. Lord, send us back out. Back next Sunday, top up the tank. That's not what church is here for. Church exists for two primary reasons. First one is to minister to God. Do you know when we come here on Sunday, it's, wait for it, it's actually not about you. It's about God. We come in here on a Sunday morning I pray that our heart would be, God, I just want to bless you today. The amazing thing is that the more we aim to bless him, we're the ones that get blessed. Second reason is Jesus made it quite clear, and I want to unpack what I mean by this in a moment, that we are here to make disciples. You can't make disciples that you don't proclaim the gospel to, that we don't reach, that we don't love, that we don't bring in. we need to put away, this one's going to rock the boat a little bit, the Collingwood supporters. We need to put away time-based, conventional and often conservative church framework. Instead, intentionally making space for the Holy Spirit to move and minister. My heart, my heart moving forward is that we would increasingly make space for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do here on a Sunday morning. I can't manufacture that. I don't have a formula for that. I simply know that when you make space for God, he fills it. That's all I know. Lastly, leadership. If you're in leadership or in a volunteer capacity, I just want to make sure that I draw a line in the sand moving forward. I'm not saying that any form of leadership falls into this category. And before I go any further, I do want to express my deepest, deepest gratefulness for our leadership. Um, We have You've heard a financial report tonight. I don't have the skills that Tony has. I'm more than happy to admit that. We are in the financial position we are in as, as a church because of God's grace and providence, absolutely. But Tony's put in an enormous amount of work behind the scenes. When it comes to formulation of policies and having really intense fellowship, you can't get any better than Mark Patch. Mark was right at the AGM. We have some intense fellowship at the board. Make no mistakes about that. But we love each other dearly. Nothing changes. Yes, we love you, Michael. Michael. It's hard to believe, but we love you. <laughs> of course we love him. I, I am deeply appreciative and uh, I'm enormously appreciative to everybody here as a church. I mean, we came up here four years ago and you guys have opened your arms lovingly and very hospitably to us. And the, the aim of the board from the moment I stepped off the plane here four years ago, what do we have to do to look after Sean and his family? That really is their aim. I am well looked after and well catered for, so there's no challenges laid down there. before. So you, you see how I, I, I kind of sweeten everything before I deal out the punch? Very political, very, very political. I give you the good news, and then I, I give you the meat, then I give you the veggies. When it comes to leadership, we need to put away leadership being viewed as a platform to exercise ministry. Um. I don't think anybody operates in this space, but I want to be clear that leadership in church circles is not a place for you to exercise any kind of ministry, but rather it's a platform where we train and equip leaders. We're looking to multiply each other. And moving forward, we will be doing that. I I want to get more intentional about training people in the speaking space. We are are getting more intentional about training people in the music space, the youth space, the kids' space. Uh, uh, Leadership has not, will not be tolerated. Uh, I need to make this clear. If you spell leadership D-I-C-T-A-C-T-O-R-S-H-I-P, and everybody went... Leadership is not dictatorship. Any form of leadership, and leadership in some churches does exist this way, any form of leadership that is not transparent, is not accountable, and you cannot ask questions of, is not leadership. It's communism. It doesn't exist in this church. It won't be tolerated in this church. We aim to be as transparent as possible. Um, I am more than happy for people to come and question me. Uh, Why did you do this? Why did you say that? Feel free to come and ask those questions. We have a special route. No, we don't. <laughs> we have a tank out the back for you. No, we don't. <laughs> Instead, leadership—biblical leadership—is actually servanthood. And the ho- see in the corporate world, the higher you go up, the more people are underneath you. In the church world, the higher you go up, the more people are above you, and the more people you are serving. That's how that's how it works. Jesus says in John chapter 13, follow my example. Wash each other's feet. My heart, my prayer for all leadership. This is, this is my personal prayer. This is, this is where God does his business on me. And my prayer for leadership in this church is that we would not be a thermometer of leadership where we flow and ebb and, with the, and that we're reading the temperature of the culture or everybody else around us. Sorry, I'm taking so much time. But rather to be a thermostat leadership, leadership that sets the temperature. And I want to make it clear that commitment in leadership form will not, no longer be tolerated as a one-way street. And what I mean by that is, if you want us to commit to you in leadership as a church, that's great, that's awesome, that's fine. If you want us to commit to you in a volunteer capacity, that's great, that's awesome, that's fine, but you need to commit to the church. If we only see you when you're on the roster, it's going to come a time when we're not going to see you because you're not going to be on the roster. I want to make that clear for those people that are in that space. Church isn't just about when you're on the roster or when your names... Church is about, I'll be here to help in any capacity that I can. That's what all of us are here for, and I just want to make that clear. So what is our commitment moving forward? In the life of Christ, I'm going to be really quick now because I've taken up a lot of time, and it doesn't matter to me because I'm on holiday, (laughs) Uh, but you guys guys are going to get up in the morning. Uh, Our commitment to everybody here as a church, what I see with Jesus is, I see in the life of Jesus, Rick Warren points this out beautifully. Rick Warren calls them the concentric circles. And he says at any point in time in the life of Jesus, you will see that uh, the people he engaged, he did so in kind of three circles. The first circle is the crowd. Wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. And wherever he engaged people at the crowd level, He was always trying to draw people into the next circle, which was the committed. He was always urging people to move from the crowd to the committed. And we see that. We see that wherever Jesus went, crowds followed him. But we also see that there were sometimes hundreds of people that were committed to following Christ. That was around the feeding of the 5,000. But we also see that there were times when there was about 70 or 80 people following Christ, aside from the 12, the people that were committed. So we have the crowd, we have the committed, and then we have the last circle. These are the guys that were really close to Jesus, and they're called the core people. Core people sound like this. Jesus spoke a really outlandish sermon in John chapter 6. Everybody said, this is a really hard teaching. I don't know if we can accept this. And it says that many after that stopped following Jesus. Jesus turns around to the 12 and says, are you guys going to go as well? Peter's answer is the answer of somebody who's a core person for Jesus Christ. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, where do you think we're going to go? Our heart here at the Rock Christian Church is that we would be intentionally moving people, engaging the crowd, but moving people closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus so that by the time you leave, you have progressed from crowd to committed or from committed to core, closer to Jesus. Discipleship for us as a church is intentionally... can be described as intentional training with accountability on the basis of loving relationships. In Matthew chapter 17, there's the record of the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus takes the disciples halfway up, stops, then he takes three men with him and they go to the top of the mountain, and it says that Jesus was transfigured before him. Now, that word is used twice in the Bible in the Greek, and it's metamorpho. It's like caterpillar, butterfly. And what happened was the veil was dropped, and three men saw Jesus in all of his glory. Revolutionized their life. It was such, such a beautiful experience that Peter said, Jesus, let's build tents here. Let's put up some tents. You know, Jesus is talking to Moses. He's talking to Elijah. Peter says, I don't ever want to go home. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're at. Of course, they end up going back down the mountain. But our hope and our prayer here is that we would engage all of us in a journey to the top of that mountain. Because I know that if you see just a glimpse of what those men saw at the top of the mountain, you will be transformed for the rest of your life. Every single one of us. I believe God's heart in this season is, yes, we need to make some reforms in how we move forward. There are some things we need to put away. There are some repairs we need to make to how we do things, absolutely 100%. But I believe we will see the fruit of that. I'm going to pray. I was going to have a short Q&A time, but the worship went for too long. I'm only kidding. But if you want to ask me any questions before you go, please do so. I hope I have expressed my heart tonight. I hope I've unpacked my heart tonight. If you have any more questions, please come and ask me, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us as a church. I do pray that you would lead us on from this point. Lead us closer to Jesus every day, I pray. Lord, we want to be closer to you. Lord, we want to worship you. Lord, we want to grow. Holy Spirit, we want this to be a place where you're free to move in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes. We ask this in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. The, the, the offer's on the table and he, he points and he says, excuse me, he says, but this is quite simple. He said, the difference, the main point of Christianity, the difference is grace. You see, it's under under grace that we we understand that every religion of the world paints a picture of man having to strive after God, but it's because of grace we see God striving after the hearts of men. Grace is God showing you favour and mercy when he doesn't have to. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and you're relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Whenever God questions you, he's not looking for information. In the, in the garden, let me put it in kind of 20th century lingo for you, when, when God says to Adam, hey, Adam, where you at? It wasn't like, hang on a second, God's gone, hang on, where'd I put that bloke? That's not what happened there. But what God does when he asks him a question is, He opens up Adam's heart. What what are you doing over there, Adam? When Jesus said to the disciples, yeah, but who do you say I am? I don't care what everybody else thinks. Who do you say I am? Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself, set up a platform. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's now set up camp and he's going to wait to see whether God's going to destroy them or not. Now, the Lord God appointed, God does quite a few appointing here at the moment. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Mm. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Jonah's all of a sudden he's gone from, let me die, exceedingly glad and what has happened is God has allowed a little bit of comfort because of the plan. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So God gives <laughs> all the comfort to Jonah and then God takes it all away. You're playing a game here, God, or are you trying to teach us something? Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. It's like Queensland, you know, in summertime moves about 4,000 light years closer to the sun. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. God never rebukes Jonah for being angry, by the way. Just challenges him. Now let's see what the Lord's got to say. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant, or you pity, or the best way to understand that word pity is you have a a preoccupation or a a preoccupying concern for the plant. You're preoccupied with your comfort. You're all overcome because of the plant. You've got pity and concern for the plant. You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now God gets to the point. Should not I pity Nineveh? Should I not have the same concern for Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, this is an important line right now, who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. What's God saying? God's saying, Jonah, I give you this plant. It gives you comfort. I take the plant away. You're all concerned and have pity and concern for the plant. You have these emotions. God says, I want you, Jonah, to start being concerned about what concerns me. God says, what concerns me is there's 120,000 people in this great city that don't know their right hand. From their left hand. They've never heard my name. They don't know about a God that loves them. And how did Nineveh find out about all of this? Jonah. The story of Jonah, overarchingly, is the story of a man that was called to go to Nineveh and didn't want to go because he had a distaste and a disdain for the people. Jonah was more concerned about his comfort. Jonah was more concerned, we see, about keeping everybody happy. And we can see that in the way that he prophesied to King Jeroboam. And he runs away from God. But the story of Jonah is the story about a wonderful, glorious God that loves us too much not to interrupt us. And I believe God is interrupting the church right now. Time for a refocus. You know when you get in your car after one of your kids have driven it or drove it? depending on what part of Tasmania you're from. You get in the car and you turn the car on and there's some radio station you've never heard of. <laughs> Belting out, what the? And so you, what do you do? You've got to refocus. I think God's like, you know, you've got to, you've got to retune. You've got to do a little bit of refocusing. Uh, I don't believe revival is what the church needs. I believe interruption. I, I want to, I've got some great news for everybody in this room. I want you to know, that at the top of my prayer list for some years has been that God would interrupt every person in this room <laughs> and that it, and I remember having the conversation with a local pastor that rang me up and said phew, what's going on here?" I said "hang on slow up the bus for a moment uh, everything that covid is that's happening under covid" he said "just I said to him I said it just might be what we've been praying for for years we want god to shake us up we want god to realign us we want we want to come into the presence of God. You've got to come into the call of God. Maybe as individuals we got off track. Maybe as churches we got off track. Maybe we put importance on too many things. And please come on the 27th if you want to hear what I feel is important. But maybe, maybe we placed importance on, on buildings. Maybe we placed importance on the size of the worship team. Maybe we're placing importance on things that make us comfortable. Uh, I'm greatly challenged by our friends in the Philippines. Uh, Time and time again, typhoons hit that church, wipe it out. And the next photo we get on Facebook is them standing there. No building, no nothing. But they're going to have church no matter what. God bless them. But they're teaching us a lesson. amidst all the COVID, their concerns in the Facebook posts has been that we just can't reach everybody. They're not letting us move about like we used to be able to and we can't reach everybody. What a beautiful concern to have. Uh, My prayer is that God would interrupt every person in this church. My prayer is God interrupt me. I believe that we stand at a great opportunity. As one anonymous quote comes through, it says, Never waste a crisis. And I think we're in an opportunity right now when everybody that doesn't normally go to church is looking inward. That's what happens, you see. Whenever you rock the boat, people start looking to what it is that they've built their life on, and people are finding some sand. We have an opportunity to point them in the right direction. Maybe it's time for us to be concerned with what God is concerned about. Let's pray. Father, each one of us here have a testimony of a God that saved us. I want to pause for a moment and I want to thank you that you saved us, that you redeemed us, that Jesus, you are our high priest that intercedes before the throne of heaven for us right now. Thank you, Jesus. But in the same way, I know that you are a God who can save our family members, that you are the God that can save those children that we pray for, that you are the God that can save those people we work with, and that you are concerned for our family members, you have concern for our workmates, you have concern for those we go to school with, and you have concern for those we sit next to in church. Father, I pray that you would realign every one of us That every person in this room would step into the purpose you have for them and step into the call of God that you have for them. We remember that Jonah simply obeyed, spoke five words, and your power hit people. We pray that your power in the same way would hit this city would hit those relatives that we pray for, those sons and daughters that we're praying for, those... Lord, we pray. We pray for the kids that come to our youth group because we believe that you're a God that can impact their lives because salvation belongs to the Lord. Father, today, I pray that your kingdom would come in this church and in this city in your glorious name. Bring people closer to you in your wonderful name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au.